Do you hear the birds? <laughs> I do. I hope you can too. Hey guys, this is a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. We are in the middle of a four-part series called Burden of Proof, and this is episode three. If you remember, we have this formula. Faith plus action plus experience plus understanding equals proof. And we've gone through faith and action, and now we're getting to experience. Ah. <laughs> uh, um, today we're going to talk about Kairos versus Kronos time, empirical versus rational. Um, we're going to get to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to talk about Captain America. And we're going to talk about deep time and my own personal experience of that. And we also get to what's called the tricycle model. <laughs> That's a lot. So let's go ahead and get into it. Hey guys, you know what? We're talking about faith plus action plus experience plus understanding equals proof. And today we're going to talk about experience. So, you know, what happens when you have faith, beginner's faith, and then you start to put that faith into action. Remember we talked last time about how faith is not believing in truths. It's not faith statements. Faith is call and response. It's hearing something from God and obeying. And all throughout Hebrews chapter 11, we see this common theme. People heard from God and then they obeyed. How did they hear from God? <laughs> That's, that was something we discussed. It's like, well, how really? The question is, how do you hear from God? I mean, we want to know how other people heard from God so we can know how we can hear from God. But like, you just got to try it out. You got to be like a mad scientist you got to experiment. you got to stumble forward. you got to struggle through. you got to make lots of mistakes. All right? I said a moving ship is easier to steer than one that's standing still. Or you can't sit on the banks and theorize what it's like to swim. you got to jump in the waters, right? Like, you've got to put it into action, this faith thing. And after action comes experience, right? Once you jump in the water, you're going to experience things. You know, that's the scary part. Experience isn't always fun, right? I've had lots of experiences on my journey with God. I can tell you, I've had lots of disorienting experiences. Um, Things I didn't understand. Uh, You know, things that didn't make sense. God asking me to do things that didn't make sense, that weren't comfortable. I talked last time about going back to college. That was my first big step of faith. Um... You know, there's just all kinds of experiences I've had. Some of them changing my actual perception of reality. That's one of the experiences I'll get to. Um, there's this thing called deep time. Uh, it's, Richard Rohr calls it deep time. It's, it's also just what we call eternity. It's this idea that God lives outside of time, right? Um, one afternoon, I was working at a job out in the country. I live in East Tennessee. It was really, really far out what we would call the holler or a bottom, like kind of through these ridges and out way back in the hills of Tennessee. There was this house way, way back, like down this crazy hidden drive. And I was working out there for, I worked out there for a month. I was renovating this whole house so this guy could resell. Nobody was living in the house at the time. Um, 
So I'd gone for lunch to the hardware store and I was coming back. And on my way back, I just, all of a sudden, my visual observation of time slowed down. Like I was driving, I was walking. Um, sorry, I am walking, but I was <laughs> at the time I was driving and it was this back road. It was lots of trees and like, I just remember the sun was like sparkling through the trees as it does if you're moving, walking or driving. You kind of see the sun kind of flickering through the trees. And I was looking at the trees and I was looking at the sun and it just all of a sudden it just slowed down. Like all the way home. <sighs> ah, darn it. I just got picked up a stick with ants all over it. Anyway, it's my spider stick because there's spider webs. And anyway, so I'm driving home. And all of a sudden, I just see like I, all of a sudden everything just slows down. And I'm all the way was driving to this back to this job sorry all the way to back to this job it was like in, I was looking at the, the trees and the sun and the scene and it was in slow motion all the way back I got back the whole rest of the day they had this big picture window and it looked out on this hill and trees and very picturesque and like all day I kind of stared out well as I worked kind of began I kept looking out and it was like time had just kind of slowed down that was an experience of deep time or eternity for me. But you know what? That's a little weird, right? That's a little unusual, we could say. Like, that might freak you out if you weren't prepared for it, if you didn't have a framework. You know, I read, I read stories in the Bible of people's experiences of God. I read mystics and their experiences of God, and it's like weird, right? It's really weird. Uh, it could be very disorienting, right? Sometimes our God experiences aren't that great. Like, I think typically the most common, you could say generic experience, we might say is a God experience is we're in church and we're worshiping and the music is good and we really feel the spirit. And that feels good, right? And that's commonly how we think it is. Feels good. It's a worship thing, and worship always feels good, and God's presence always feels good. Nope. As we get into Hebrews 12, we're going to find out one of the main things God wants to do is reproach, reprove, refine, discipline. That doesn't feel good. Like, I've been through a lot of disciplining with God. Doesn't always feel good. But it's all, those are all God experiences. Some are good, some are bad. It's not always good. And so I think, you know, the reality is like, we're supposed to be taking up our cross and following Jesus. And the reality is, it's not, oh, it doesn't always feel good to experience following Jesus. Jesus said, in this world you have, will have troubles. He said, no servant is greater than their master. If they hated me, they'll hate you. You know, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Paul, I'm reading in 2 Corinthians, and Paul's just talking about all the struggles he went through. Paul is like the apostle of apostles. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and yet... He just like he's going through this list about all the struggles and trials and difficulties he went through, and of course how it didn't bother him or it didn't really rile him. But like man, if you think walking with God and experiencing God is a primrose path and birds are chirping and the sun's shining and it feels good, you probably haven't had that many real experiences of God because it doesn't always feel good. And here's the reality, I think. At first, it might feel good, and at first, God might lead us through good feelings. But that's, that's like a baby on milk, as Paul says. 
Like, at first, God's going to lead us through things that feel good. He's not going to drop us right away into to some severe discipline, I don't think. But what happens when he starts to discipline and we're only, you know, we're only tempered and acclimated to milk, to good feelings and good times, and God should never make our lives hard, and God never should do anything that leads us into something that's uncomfortable or doesn't feel good, right? What happens is we run back to the bottle, and we're like, no, this is, this is God. This is a God experience. It's a bottle. It's milk. It feels good. And if it doesn't feel good, it's not God. What happens when God starts to refine, correct, discipline? Well, we're not going to recognize that it's God. We're going to reject it, and we're not going to grow. So you don't get very far into experiences you know, after putting your faith into action, you don't get far into experiencing God without starting to experience some difficult things, some difficult times, some things that aren't going the way you would like. Because the reality is, what you like is often according to the flesh. And the flesh is the thing God's trying to kill because until the flesh is put to death, we can't truly follow God, right? So our experiences at first and for a long time can be very defeating and deflating. It's not always good to experience like, it's just, sometimes it's just easier to be a theory, the, a theoretician. <laughs> a theoretician. You know, just have some good hypotheses. Sit on the bank and dream and contemplate and think about swimming, but never do it. You know, I almost drowned once in a river. Um, we had been on a canoe trip. We had lost a canoe. We'd gone back the next day to find the canoe. And we got to this place where we lost the first canoe canoe didn't belong to us. We were a group of students. We had borrowed a canoe from a professor. Went back to get it, and the second canoe dumped us out in this one spot in the river where there was a log jam. And I was fully closed, and somehow the current got, swept me under an uh, underwater tree or branch. And I kept getting shoved under and shoved under and shoved under. And finally I got up. By the time I got up out of that tree to the surface, I was so exhausted. And my legs and arms felt heavy and I was in the middle of a pretty big river and I felt like I was done. Didn't know if I had enough energy to keep going. And I looked at the shore and I thought, no way. I'm not drowning. I am giving this everything I have. And I made it to shore and then we got the canoe back and we found the other canoe and everything was good. But like, it can be like that with God. It's like jumping in and the the river's raging and the Holy Spirit is often pictured like, you know, uh, participating with the spirit is often pictured like jumping in a river, but it's like it ain't a, it ain't always calm water. Sometimes it's level four rapids, and it's man, it's pushing you under, and it's hard, and you feel like you might drown, and it doesn't feel good. And once you get out, you may be like, well, <laughs> I don't think I want to do that again. And so, if it's hard, are you going to do it? If God's discipline and process of refining you through faith, action, and experience are hard, are you still going to do it? Is it worth it to you? Or do you want a comfortable faith and the health and wealth gospel and everything has to suit you and fit your needs and feel good? And that's the game we're in. And so God can't ever do anything hard. And so God can't really ever do any real work and really refine and really get you more acclimated to his will, purpose, mentality, character, heart, It's all you, and it's all what God can do for you, and that's your Christianity, and that's faith, and faith is God, give me what I want, or I'm not going to have it. If that's it, your experience is not going to go very good. It's not going to last long. This whole experience thing is going to be short-lived. You're going to just go back to the theory. Safe, right? Putting faith into action and then experiencing 
it's tough. It's really interesting. Um, this is a, a philosophical kind of concept. Uh, but there's these two kind of ways of knowing truth. There, It's called empiricism and rationalism, or empirical and rational. And so, like, this is just a way that we can know what is true. Two different means and methods. Um, like, so, rationalism, probably, you probably heard the term rational. You know, rational means to think, or a rational center is the mind. It really, uh, rationalism is knowledge derived from reason and logic, right? Like, we're a hyper-rational society. Western culture is hyper-rational. It's all what you think and what you can figure out in your head. That's good. I mean, that's a part of knowledge, understanding, right? But here's the interesting thing about the rational approach towards truth is... You can have a perfectly logical truth system. Everything fits, everything works, but it's not necessarily true to reality. Like, something can be rational, logical, but still not true. Like, you can create a logical system, a logical system of thinking, but it's completely theoretical and it's completely fantasy and it's completely not true to reality. Just because something is logical doesn't mean it's true or real or true to reality. But, but that's helpful. It's helpful to have the ability to, to come to logical conclusions and to kind of having enough known elements of a system or reality. You can, you can really deduce a lot of things through rational thinking, right? Well, what about empiricism? Empiricism is pure experience and experimentation, right? It's just like go out there and do it, you know? I've been doing construction now for 30 years, right? I started out as an apprentice, didn't know a thing, you know. Now, um, I love it so much. Like I, I was, t- I was, I'm doing a job for a customer. I'm putting a little, uh, it's like a mini kitchen or a wet bar down in their basement. It's like eight feet of cabinets and a sink, and I've got to run plumbing, electrical, um, and I had some issues with the shutoff. The main shutoff to the house I had to go to the street and t- turn it off there because the main shutoff in the house wasn't working. And like I'm talking to the customer, and I'm like, "Yeah, you know, this is the way. You, usually, you need a uh, the newer shutoffs are a quarter turn ball valve, and the old ones are they have this rubber gasket, and it usually degrades. And when you if it sets for ten years and you don't use it, then you go to use it off, and it just fails. And so I was talking to him, and I was like, "Man, you know, I it's I really know my stuff." I was talking to him about having a plumber come out and switch out these old valves and. It's just so cool when I talk to people now. I'm like, I, I just, I know a lot about a lot when it comes to construction. It's because of experience. I never went to school for construction. You can, you know. But like, there's logic too, right? I could, if things make sense. Like, construction is systems built upon systems. Like, plumbing is a, plumbing is a system, right? And it's really interesting because I was thinking about this the other day. There's actually about five different um, kinds of plumbing like that have been developed at different times in different periods throughout history modern history you hear that bird up there he's chirping away but like there's cast iron that's what drains used to be there's galvanized for water there's 
PVC now for drains, there's CPVC for water, and now there's PEX for water, and then there's copper for water. And like, there's all these different things. And it's like, you know, I first learned on copper and I learned how to sweat copper and I can do that. And then, you know, PVC and then CPVC. And then I've had to mess with galvanized. It's not that great, but I've had to mess with that. And then every once in a while in older houses, I come across cast iron piping. And then now I prefer PEX, but like, I know how all these systems work. It's logical. I also have had experience with them, and so I, I know what I'm doing. You know, it's not, it's not theoretical. Like, I have experience, and I use my rational center to make sense of things at the same time. <laughs> both are good, but both need to work together. Usually, though, when it comes to spiritual things, spiritual journey, faith, got a lot of rationalism. It's logical, it makes sense. We have our systematic theology worked out and it's all thought out. But man, is it practiced? Is it put into practice? We gotta be rationalists and empiricists. We gotta experiment. We gotta experience. We talked about um, Kairos and Kronos as well. Like, remember I talked about in the first episode qualitative versus quantitative and um, uh, oh, what the, the other two were subjective, objective, right? And I said, you know, spiritual experience is qualitative and subjective, not quantitative and objective. Well, Kairos and Kronos kind of fit the same idea. Kronos time, it's, it's a Greek word, and Kronos, you might know the word chronology. Kronos time means... Um, a day, an hour, very specific amounts of time, right? It just really means time, chronological time. Kairos time is different. It means like an opportune time. Like in scripture where it says, at the right time Jesus came. That's Kairos time. At the right time, the opportune time. It's more Kairos time is qualitative. Kronos time is quantitative. You can mark the minutes and the hours. But like, when you start to experience God, you start to experience God more qualitative, more subjective, right? You are experiencing God. And it's not like, you can't quantify it. And you can't, it's not objective, right? It's your experience. And like, my experience of deep time. That sounds weird, right? Like, why did that happen? How did that happen? Look, I... I've never done psychedelic drugs in my life. I was not having a flashback. I've had spiritual experiences. This was just another spiritual experience, and I was prepared. It was not that unusual for me. It didn't freak me out. It took a minute to adjust. But it was really cool. Like, God gave that to me because he knew I was ready, because he wanted me to experience time like he does, a little bit, right? And it was in a season when he was also telling me to slow down, right? Like, God was speaking. I was having this experience that fed into what God was already talking to me about and God was talking to me about the season I was in. That's Kairos time. It's about seasons. It's about a different way of living life where it's more about what is God doing right now and teaching right now? How is God refining me right now? What are the the lessons I'm in? The disciplines that God is bringing about? That's Kairos time. Kronos time is I get up every day, I drink my coffee, I go to work, I work from 9 to 5, I got my weekends off. On my weekends, I like to do X, Y, and Z. And after the weekends, it's Monday again, it's 
Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Kronos time is droll and dead and mechanized and it doesn't bring us life. Kairos time is, man, God's teaching me right now how to step more in faith and experience him. And man, this is happening, this is happening. And God's really teaching me right now more about love. And so he's put some hard things in my life and some people that I find hard to love. But man, it's really been really good. And that's Kairos time. That's as we start to experience God and we get in this rhythm of a different way of living and it's living life with God. We start to have experiences and we start to just live a different way. And I'm going to jump to Hebrews chapter 12. But Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, I don't know if it's 12 or it's around there, it says, the outward man is perishing, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. Um, that actually might be a different verse. Let me see if I... Uh, that yeah I'm looking this is second Corinthians 4 yeah well I'll read this this is second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16 therefore we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but what is unseen since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal so like we're looking or we're learning to have different eyes, ears, right? Those who have ears to hear. And we're starting to see what is unseen. We fix our eyes. How can you fix your eyes on what is unseen? That is so absurd. What? Because the outward person is wasting away, but the inward person is being renewed. Do you see? We're learning to live a different way. We're learning to live in a different world. We're learning to see a different way, to see a different world, to hear a different world. We're learning to live in God's world and God's reality. We're understanding all reality is starting to change and shift for us. It's no longer the clicking or the ticking of the clock and the punching of the clock. And mon, you know, day after day after day and watching the hours stroll by. It's now it's like, well, this season, this is the season I'm in. And this is what God's teaching me. And I'm so excited. And this is what God's called me to do. And it's really interesting. And I'm learning and I'm growing. And it's a different way of living, Right. We're starting to see differently. Like I actually, li- I mean, that's so crazy, isn't it? That I saw literally, but that's not usually what, it, what it's like. That was just part of my experience at that time. I rarely have visuals, but sometimes I do. Sometimes I see things and it's, it, but usually it's just an interior sense. It's the inward person. And uh, I mentioned Hebrews. Let's see if I can find that section in Hebrews. Um, Not sure where that was at. We'll probably get there, but I, it'd be nice to jump there for a second. Well, let's start to start in, in Hebrews chapter twelve, talking about discipline, right? Like, like just keep this in mind. We're talking about God disciplining us, refining us, right? It's hard. It's through experiences. But but don't miss the key feature here. God is disciplining you. You're not disciplining yourself. Your pastor's not disciplining you. Your church, your tradition, the Bible, your understanding, your theology, are, those things are not disciplining you. Why? Because that's you. What you understand, what you can know, what someone else can teach you. We're talking about God. God... For God to discipline you, God has to be the one disciplining you, which means you have to start to come into contact with God. You have to start to experience God. Well, how do I do that? 
You got to start to act. Well, how do I do that? You got to have faith. Why do I do that? <laughs> got to believe. And you got to put it into action and you got to see what happens. Well, I might drown if I jump in that river. Yes, you might. Well, do you think God can save you? Do you think God's going to let you fall if you jump off the cliff? Like Peter walking on the water. It was hard. He did it. And then he sunk and then Jesus grabbed him. But look, don't forget the central thing here is God. God disciplining you is God. That means you've got to start experiencing God. Right? Which means you've got to start acting on the faith, the ideas, the theory. Hebrews verse 12 or Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus, the originator and author of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, Okay, so we have this example, other saints, Jesus, right? And Jesus went through hard things. People went through hard things following God. Like, look at the lives of the saints. Pick a saint. Pick, look up the Jesuits. <laughs> These guys went through hard things in their faith. They had to, they, that radical surrender to God. Anyway, like, Hebrews 12 starts out saying, like, we have these examples, but they're examples of people that had to go through hard things. And then he jumps into verse 4. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, and you're striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when nor faint when you are punished by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he punishes every son he accepts. It is for, this is verse 7, it is for discipline that you are endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Ooh. Ooh. Is your Christian life easy? Is it about what feels good and what God can do for you? And God's never taken you through hard things? Ooh. Are you even a child of God? Are you a son and daughter of God if you haven't begun to experience God disciplining you? Woo! Ouch! Okay. You might be a son and daughter, but you might just be a baby stuck in faith in that first part. Faith, but it's immature. It's baby faith. But, you know, the Hebrews writer says... If you've not become partakers of this discipline thing, you're illegitimate children, not sons. Man. He starts out, verse 4, this, this section is called the Father's Discipline. The, the Hebrews writer is kind of using this allegory, this analogy. He says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. Kind of a weird verse if you think about it, but actually what he's saying is like shedding blood. Like, this is the rest of your life until you die you've not yet resisted to the point of 
Like you could say being martyred, right? But like he's saying, you got to go all the way. Your whole life. Your whole life, there's going to be this striving against sin. And sin, don't just think sins. But the sin is separation from God. Like, right, we're coming back to experience. We're trying to experience God in your journey in the struggle of trying to act out your faith and begin to experience God, you have not taken it all the way to the end of your life. That's what he's saying. So look, from the get-go, right out the gate, the Hebrews writer is saying, it's your whole life. Your whole life, this is the process you're in. Discipline. God's going to be disciplining you. And then, oh, am I done yet? Nope. Well, have you come to home to heaven yet? Nope. Then we're still in this process because there's still more things to learn. It never ends. You never peak. You never reach the end of the discipline process because you'll reach the end of certain lessons. Certain Kairos moments will end. Certain seasons. And then there may be a rest. And then there's a new season. Why? Because there's spring, summer, fall, and winter. Spring, new growth, summer, activity, fall, slowing down, harvesting, reaping the benefits of the things we've learned. Winter, taking a rest. And then spring comes again. Kairos time is like seasons, and it's like going through these different seasons with God. But guess what? After winter comes spring, always. You don't get to winter, and then nothing. Unless you're dead. (laughs) Unless you go home. You're always in the Kairos movement of God disciplining refining teaching and then what you reap the benefits of those lessons and you grow and then you may have a time of rest and the sweet time of really just sitting with God looking back over what you've learned and all the challenges and how hard it's been about how you've come through and then God's like okay break time's over (laughs) now another season another kairos season another kairos moment in your life okay Verse 4 makes it clear. It's your whole life. And here, uh, later in in verse 5 and into verse 6, he says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are punished by him. Like, look, it's serious. You're going to really start to live in your faith. As James says, put your faith into action. God's going to, it's going to refine you. It's going to challenge you. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to require you give up certain things. You sacrifice certain things. It's going to be hard. You're going to start to experience God doing some hard work, making you uncomfortable, leading you to do things you don't necessarily want to do, putting choices before you that are hard, putting you in circumstances that are hard, putting people in your lives that you don't like and you don't want to be around for a long time. God will put angry people in my life. Because my dad was angry. He had a temper. He was abusive. And I didn't like angry people. And I, you know, I just, I, I just remember different seasons, angry people will come into my life. And I'd just be like, oh, I just, God, get these people out of my life. Finally, it hit me. I was like, well, God keeps putting these people in my life so I can learn how to deal with angry people. Because I now realize angry people are hurting people too. And I should have compassion. And I would have to leave the world to get away from angry people. And God was like, you got to get over this. Yeah, your dad was abusive and you don't like angry people, but you're an angry person sometimes and everybody's angry sometimes. And I'm not going to stop putting this kind of person in your life because I'm refining you. 
Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't brush it aside. Don't say, that's not for me. No, I don't need to work on loving angry people. No, I just, I don't like angry people and they suck and God damn them. And that's it. And that's the, that's the solution. Call down fire like the sons of thunder and just get rid of him. And, you know, and God's like, mm-mm. You're regarding my discipline lightly, meaning I'm trying to bring you into Kairos lessons and you just keep shoving them aside and saying, nope, nope, nope. I don't have that problem. That's not me. I don't need to work on that. No, I don't need to learn that. Or I'm not going to go that. I don't like that. I'm not going to go that direction. I'm not going to. Nope. And God's like, okay, you're taking my discipline lightly. Don't. And then it says, don't faint when you're punished by him. Like it's saying, understand what's going on. Like don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't pass out. (laughs) Don't give up. Verse six, for whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Like God's doing this to teach you, to refine you. He's taking you through hard things to refine, to strengthen, to grow you, to be like him. (sighs) This is the process. This is experiencing God. Only God can lead you to these things. You're not going to lead yourself to hard times. You're going to you're going to lead yourself away from them, right? Cool, huh? Picking up. So you know, then verse eight, he says, "Hey, if you're not being disciplined by God, you're not legitimate children. You're illegitimate." Okay, so look, what does it mean to be a legitimate son and daughter of God? It means you know your father. It means you're becoming like your father. It means you've got adopted into this family, and you've got to. Learn what it means to be in this family. There's, a, there's family rules. There's house rules. God has his paradigm, his way of doing things, his, his character, his heart, his manner, his mode. And he wants, if you're going to be a child of God, he's going to teach you how to be a child of God. To be a legitimate child means you've been trained and you're still being trained in what it means to be like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to truly Start to know God, hear God, follow God. You're legitimate. It means you're going through the refining process. You're becoming more like God. You're becoming holy like God is holy. It doesn't just mean you completed the transaction and when you die, you'll go to heaven. It means your character is being refined to be like the character of God. That's what it means. Picking up in verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems not to be pleasant, but painful. Yet those who have been trained by it, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That, the wording was a little weird there. Those who have been trained by it, after it yields the peace of fruit of righteousness. Anyway, it still doesn't... <laughs> like, when you've been trained by it, and what? You see the fruit that it yields. It says the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Righteousness just means like holiness, the character of God. Like it sucks to go through hard things. Like if you're seeking God, you start to experience God. It's going to be hard. But like just know you're seeking God. Remember when um, I, 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 God put this before me to go back to school. It's my first big step of faith. And I was wrestling and wrestling and wrestling and struggling. And finally, God was like, hey, by the way, you asked for this. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, God reminded me, like, this was, a, this was something. I was seeking God. He's like, you're seeking me. You're seeking greater faith. You don't like this experience, but you didn't connect the dots. You didn't realize that, hey, this is my opportunity. This is an answer to your prayer. Like, I'm training you. 
to be have, to have greater faith. I'm giving you opportunity. You're going through this experience. But do you realize it? Like, and so I started to, and so, like, what I saw God in the circumstance. I saw that God had brought all this about. Like, I, I hadn't connected the dots. I thought God had told me to go back to school, yet I was struggling. So what I was really struggling with was really my image of God, right? I was trying to do what I thought God said, but then I had this idea that God shouldn't cause me to struggle. And so finally, I was, God was like, yeah, that's not true. Your idea of me is wrong in this area. You think that when you follow me, it's going to lead to easy and comfortable. And this has been hard. And so, like, obviously, if God told me to do this and I knew it and, like, why would I doubt? Well, I was doubting because God told me, but then it was like, well, but this doesn't seem like what should happen when I step out and follow God. Didn't think it should be hard. And God's like, well, guess what? You're being trained. You're being refined. You're learning what it's like to follow me, and it's not easy, and it's not comfortable. But you didn't know that. And now you're connecting the dots. Now you're realizing, oh, well, this is what it's like. It was the first time I started to realize following God. Doesn't always feel good. It's always easy. Right? It trained me. I started to learn something by stepping out and experiencing and I was learning, right? It was training me. And afterwards, it yielded the fruit, the peaceful fruit of righteousness, right? I got, made it through, got back to Bible college. Man, I tell you what, <laughs> I went back to school when I was 29. I felt like I was on vacation for four years. I had, you know, I'd been to, to college right out of high school for two years. And then I had worked for about seven years in the, you know, in just out in the regular world. And when I went back to college, I was like, Oh man, I had so much fun. It was such a peaceful, fruitful time for me. It was like after I pushed through the hard lesson and I got into college, back to college, I loved it. When I had this perspective, right? I had some experience. Some, I had even had just some life experience, not even God experience, but life experience, which was like, kind of sucks, you know, the daily grind in the real world, working a job. And here, I like I was surrounded by mostly younger kids right out of high school. And I was like, they just didn't quite understand the gift and how great it was. And I would, you know, they would complain like, oh, we got to go to class and we got to turn it and write papers. I was like, dude, this, I love to write papers. I love to learn. This is vacation, baby. What? It was a season of peaceful fruitfulness for me. I had to push through some hard things to get there. But man, it opened a door to a really good time in my life. It, I met friends i got to you know live with my best friends who were also my christian brothers it was such a great time i still remember that time with fondness and like what i went through some hard things but it opened up afterwards after the training it yielded this fruit this season this kairos season of just really good enjoyable time i loved it i mean there were still lessons while i was in Bible college that second time, but like it was such a blessing. It was such a gift to go back to college. That's where I met my wife, of course, which, you know, there's so many things that bore fruit out of that hard season of getting to that point of stepping out and trusting and then experiencing. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Mm. It's not always easy doesn't always make sense. 
but when we push through the hard things, you know, when we start to realize, wow, this is actually God-ordained, even though it's a struggle, we, uh, we find out. There's a sweetness on the other side. Um, you know, it's really interesting. I was thinking about this, you know. We don't really believe truths we don't experience. This, is, this reminds me of the tricycle model I told you about, Richard Rohr. The tricycle model is um, just how we move in our faith journey, like the things that inform us, you could say. Like, there's three wheels on the tricycle. The two back wheels are scripture and tradition, and the front wheel is experience. And so, right, I talked about the scientific method and how we, you know, we do research and we form hypotheses and we, we have a good theory Scripture and church tradition help us form good theories. But the front wheel experience, actually, when we act, we start to experience, right? It's like, you really know something when you experience it. Like, oftentimes, apart from experience, apart from empiricism, right? We're, we're rationalist Christians. We got a good understanding, right? But, like, we may look the part of a Christian, but we're not living the part. And so really our Christianity is just knowing the right stuff, maybe even trying to do some of the right stuff as, in terms of duty. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, which means I have certain morals and values, and then I, I do service projects and I'm trying to do good to people. And, like, <laughs> that's an experience, but it's an experience devoid of God. It's not God-led, it's you-led or church-led. Like, it's different. It's not the same. Like, you're trying to look like a Christian and do Christian things. But a Christian is someone who's following Jesus. And Jesus was someone who followed God, right? But I just think, until you really experience a truth, you don't know it. Man, there's just been so many times reading Scripture where there's verses that made sense to me or didn't make sense to me. But, like, after I had an experience, they meant something different. There's just been so many times. I mean, I've read the Bible over a hundred times. And it's like, I come back to verses... And I see a different understanding, not because the scripture has changed, but because my experience has changed. There's so many things in scripture that don't, won't make sense until you experience the truth they're relating. You know, I mean, my life now, I have a much greater understanding of how suffering produces godly character. There's a lot of verses that talk about suffering. Didn't mean much to me before I suffered. You know, I just was like, if someone would have come up and said, uh, suffering is a key factor in becoming holy in this God journey, I would have said, eh, really? It's in the Bible. I would have said, hmm, really? Okay, yeah, I mean, I know there's some verses about suffering, but mm, I don't know, I guess. But I hadn't experienced it, right? Like, Experience does lead the way. It's why, it's why it's the big front wheel on a tricycle, right? And the front wheel is also the steering wheel. <laughs> it's the handlebars that you steer. The, the wheel is the... It, you turn that wheel to steer, right? Like, I'm just going to tell you, if you haven't experienced the truths in Scripture and the truths in your church tradition, you don't really have them. They don't really mean anything. And you don't really understand them, right? We're going to get to understanding after in the next podcast, right? Um, you know, it makes me it makes me think about Steve Rogers in the Marvel, you know, 
movie series that go on. And there was as a movie called Captain America Civil War. And uh, in the beginning of this film, like there's different elements of the Avengers team, and they're at odds. Like uh, what's happened is is they've just uh, the movie preceding this was uh, Iron Man: Age of Ultron. And like before that was the New York City catastrophe, and I think I'm trying to remember there was there were three different huge disasters that happened, and the Avengers were a part of trying to um what was oh the second yeah anyway the second one was when it was Iron Man two and anyway but like basically people are raising the alarm and saying the Avengers seem to be at the center of a lot of like global catastrophes and so there was created an oversight committee from the government to try to rein in the avengers and so part of the avengers is like yeah this is we need to do this and part of them are like no this isn't good and captain america is talking to um iron man tony stark and tony's like we need to do this and and steve rogers is like no i I, look i have this internal moral guide and that's the thing that i follow and if my moral internal guide says go, I'm going to go, even if this oversight committee says don't. So he's like, I really can't submit to this kind of system, right? What? This oversight committee was a group of people, no experience being a superhero, no experience coming up against these diabolical, you know, forces, and they want to sit and they want to armchair the Avengers. Right? They've got probably good ideas. They've probably got really good morals. They're probably handpicked the right, maybe the right people for this committee. But they don't know what it's like to be on the battlefield in the midst of the fight, experiencing and making the judgment call in the moment. And Captain Rogers is like, I got to follow my gut, my intuition. I, it's in the moment. I can't like call the committee. I'm getting ready to take down the bad guy, but oh, I got to have a 15-minute conversation with the with the oversight committee first and then the guy gets away or he kills me or like you just can't, right? Like you can't have a system. A system is like a theory. A system is like a well-rationalized, logical way of doing things, but experience is different. And in the moment, you make a decision based on what you think God told you and what you think God wants and that's experience and that really moves you forward. Experience must inform our theories about God. Experience must lead the way. Until we experience it, we really don't know something. There's a reason that Experience is the front wheel of the tricycle. Like we need all three. You can't just go with experience, right? You need to be informed. You gotta form the theory first. That's the scientific method. But if you never put it into practice, if you never act upon it, if you never see what happens, you never get to understanding. It just doesn't work. I kind of like at the end of verse 12 he talks about coming to the mountain of God you know he's talking he's 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 contrasting this these two mountains Mount Zion in Jerusalem and the mountain of God so 
this is, you know, continuing, kind of picking up where we had left off in, in chapter 12, but this is starting with verse 18. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and a whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. Verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly of the church, of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to sprinkle blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abraham. And then verse 25, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Hmm. You have not come to a physical mountain and to what you know that mountain he's talking about is where the this he's talking about actually the giving of the law and that wasn't that wasn't Mount Zion actually that was Mount Sinai I think but he's like you haven't come to this mountain that mountain where Moses got the law you've come to a, the Mount Zion the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem so you could you know from the law given on Sinai, came the building of the temple on Mount, on Mount Zion. So both of these mountains could be interchangeable in, in the terms of this one kind of mountain, this physical mountain with these physical rules and the things you can see and touch and taste and, and handle, which Colossians says is destined to perish. You've come to the living God, the city of the living God, right? Like We don't just have rules. We don't just have scripture and the things we can touch. We don't just have the cataphatic. We have the apophatic, the things that can't be seen, touched. Cataphatic is important. Apophatic is where we're headed, right? It says, he says, like, so he's making this comparison between these two mountains. There's this metaphoric or this materialized mountain, right? Like Sinai and Zion and Jerusalem. Like these, are, these things are kind of the manifestation of God, the representation. But there's this actual mountain where God actually lives, it's actually the living, the city of the living God. It's the heavenly Jerusalem. There's angels and there's all these saints and God's there and, and, uh, to, and Jesus. And then he says, verse 25, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who, who turn away from him who warns us from heaven. As his voice shook the earth then, but now he has a promise saying, Yet once more I will not only shake the earth, but also the heavens. Like you see, he's making a comparison. He's like, it's one thing to have written words and written codes and a system of truth, understanding, faith in ideas, theories. It's another to come to God himself. He says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And he says, will we escape who turn away from him who warns us from heaven. Like The Hebrews writer is making this distinction. He's saying, look, there are the things of God and there's God. Experiencing church, experiencing scripture, experiencing truth, experiencing good theories, it's not the same as experiencing God. That's apophatic, God himself. God is there to be experienced. Well, how do I experience God? Put your faith into action. Keep doing it and you will start to have experiences. Verse 28, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let's show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I skip to verse 27. 
This expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. And then therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let's show gratitude. Our God is a consuming fire. He's been talking about, before this, the Hebrews writer, he's been talking about God disciplining us. Why does God discipline and refine and send, take us through hard things, through kairos, seasons that are hard, and then we learn? Why does God do that? So God can make us more like him. So we can come back into contact with God. So we can begin to experience God himself. God speaking. God leading. God guiding. It's about God himself. That's who we're coming to. We're not coming to a physical mountain and physical truths and the physical scripture and church tradition. Those things are good. They're the two back wheels. What we're coming to really is experience. Everything points towards that. Are you experiencing God? Right? The theory informs us, and then we experience, and then we go back, and we refine the theory. What? And so what? We're growing in our understanding of even the theory. The theory is becoming not a theory. For us, it's becoming real. It's becoming truth. It's becoming a life. It's becoming rhythms. It's becoming a new way of living life, experiencing God because that's the point all the refining the faith the action the struggles we begin to experience God it all leads to greater understanding as we go through again and again the lessons the seasons the kairos moments it all leads us back to one thing God himself that's that's the beauty of experience when you have that you have what cannot be shaken God himself is leading you, teaching you, you've experienced God. That's unshakable, right? So then your faith is transferred from what is shakable, from shakable things, as the Hebrews writer is saying, and material things and, and lesser things to an unshakable reality of God himself involved in your life. And, well, now, what? It's harder to shake your faith. The doubts don't strike you as significant or as significant as they used to, you're walking with God, you're experiencing God. Your faith has been put into action, and now you're experiencing, and now you're growing, and now, now you're not so shaken, you're more rooted in God himself. And that's the point. That's what happens when faith plus action leads to experience. And after experience comes understanding. And that's what we'll talk about next time. Something happens when you put these three things together. Faith plus action plus experience. You start to become a living, walking body of truth. (laughs) A person of truth. You start to become this person who's living a life a God-led life. You don't just, you're not just a person whose head is full of truths, theories, right? Hypotheses. You're a person who's lived and experienced God, and that's so different. I mean, you know, I don't know if you're a very good judge of character or when you meet people, if you're very, very good at assessing people, but I can tell the difference between people who know what they're talking about and people who don't. 
you know, especially in certain things, construction, of course. But like, you know, when you've met someone who's experienced, um, I was doing this job I told you about, and putting this little kitchenette wet bar in, and this guy, he's such a humble person, like, this guy, he's retired, he, he owns a vineyard, he runs a vineyard with his daughter, really well off financially, he owns about 60 plus acres, you know, he's just, but like, one of the most humble people I've ever met, I was talking with him at the beginning of this job, this is the third job I've done for him, he was telling me a story about almost dying two years ago. And everything he went through. And at the end of that, he said, well, like the doctor said, after two years being passed the surgery to remove the aneurysm, the doctor said, I couldn't tell you this at the time, but you had a 10% chance of surviving the surgery and you had a 50% chance of surviving the first year. And he said, when I heard that, I knew God had me here for a reason. And I thought, you know what? There's a reason this guy is so humble. He's suffered. He struggled. He's... You know, like on the surface, he could have been a very prideful person. He's wealthy, you know, he's done a lot, he owns a lot, but a humble guy. And what? Like, I could just tell he's a very grounded person. Why? Because he's suffered, he's struggled. That's different, you know, when people have experienced things, it makes them different versus people who just have a bunch of theories. And they're all about the theories. And you know what? Often, when it comes to Christian truth, Theories make us prideful, and knowledge makes us prideful. Scripture says, knowledge puffs up, love builds up, right? There's a difference between someone who's puffed up with knowledge. They've not really put their faith into action. They've not become humble and graceful and lowly. They've not struggled, they've not suffered, they've not been refined and disciplined by God. To them, God is this righteous judge, and you better do it right or else, you know? You know the difference between a person who's really experienced God's truth and people that just have a bunch of good theories. And that's what we're talking about. This is a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori, and we've already talked about faith plus action plus experience. When you start to get there, it changes who you are. The inward man gets renewed again and again as you go through these Kairos seasons. You start to change. You start to become a grounded person and a person grounded in God, truth, as taught by God himself. That's the point. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can always catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com or Google J. Randall Ori. Love you guys. Bye.